For this episode of the Graffito Podcast, I pulled Gustavo and Jesse into our makeshift studio for a quick conversation about winter dining in New England. Before we begin, there are just a few notes or disclaimers. First, when we started the dialogue, the extended deadline for restaurants to pack up their patio space as part of the temporary outdoor dining program in Boston was October 31st. And by the end of our discussion, that deadline had changed in real time. It'll make sense when you listen, but keep it in mind because some of the things we talked about earlier in the segment implied the earlier deadline. Lastly, we know there are no silver bullets here. Allowing restaurants to serve customers outdoors a little later in the year isn't going to save the industry. More has to be done, especially in regard to stimulus money. But right now, we are at a place where every little bit of money and hope helps. And it's been proven that revenues from patio dining have kept many restaurants afloat. Now, for some reason, people think that extending the deadline is a bad idea or pointless because they think diners won't come out in the cold temperatures. Well, okay, maybe they won't. But shouldn't it be up to the restaurant to decide when it's too cold? If they can come up with a clever, comfortable, and safe solution, let them. And maybe, just maybe, we can have some fun in the process. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's listen in on our conversation. And be sure to email podcast at graffito.com or tweet at graffitosp with your thoughts. All right, how do I sound? Am I good? I think you sound better than me. Yeah, you sound good, Gustavo. How do I sound, Gustavo? You sound like like really deep and like really close, very podcast voice like. Like you sound like you're in my head. Here's the hard part. If I'm looking at Drew but I want to talk to Gustavo, I, it, it's going to be really It's okay. Hard. I, it's I don't think really you can hear, right I don't now. think you can really make a difference. Okay, fine. Well, as you can tell, I'm on the mic with fellow Graffito team members, Jesse Barracon and Gustavo Quiroga. Quiroga? Are we live right what now? Quiroga. Quiroga. I've known you, you for a while. It, and then you say it fast. <laughs> Are, you Are you yeah, recording this? Are you recording this right now? Yeah, we're on. What? Oh. You don't even let us know? You just no, go? This no, is, I think that's against the law. This is weird. You can't record someone without telling them. Um, I think you assumed a certain responsibility when you stepped in front of the microphone that you might be recorded. But we are recording. And you might know Gustavo and Jesse from such places as the team page on our website. Um, <laughs> and you'll be hearing from them more on this podcast. I did a pilot, actually, <laughs> for WB a few years back. You might remember me there. The Caroga file? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> today, by the way, before we get into today, we're going to have a new family member. Um, Jesse is getting a dog oh, this man, weekend. Oh, man, it's happening. I don't know if I'd say Jesse is getting a dog. I think yeah. Jesse's family is Jesse's getting a dog. Jesse's kids are getting a dog, and but I'm a, Jesse's going to take care of the ride. Which means Jesse's getting a dog. Right, true. If you think your kids are taking care of the dog. No, no. I'm well aware of what's going to happen. Okay, so Jesse's getting a dog. What kind of dog are you getting? It's one of these... Uh, poodle mixes what which, which kind though it's very important it's the it's either the labra it's the labradoodle or the labradoodle it might be the golden doodle i should know this those are pretty similar I you should say. find out before you go yes hopefully sufficiently genetically modified designer dog to fit with our new suburban life oh good luck yeah thanks um today <laughs> today on the just, podcast just calling it what it is yeah no i i think it's very bold of you to get a dog right now but i'm gonna love it the whole family's gonna love it good for the kids okay yeah since this episode uh, of the podcast, the Graffito podcast is all about restaurants, we're going to talk about winter dining in New England and what it would take to extend the patio season. 
Guys, there's no sugarcoating it. This winter is going to be really bad for the restaurant business. The way I see it, there are, there are three main topics that we can discuss today. One is the city has to extend the patio season. Well, the state really has to extend the patio season and make it viable for restaurants to stay open later. Restaurants have to figure out a way to keep its customers warm, which takes technical uh, skill, but also is going to take some money to do that. And three, culturally, we should just be more open and willing to eat outdoors in colder temperatures. And I think we should just get right into it. Gustavo, what role does a state have in telling restaurants when they have to close for the, for the season? I think, first of all, I think you framed it really well. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think we all have as a team, and we've been talking to a lot of folks about this, and I really have thought about it in the way that you framed it, which is three issues we have to address. A policy issue, a design issue, and a culture issue. So on the policy issue, it's about allowing restaurants to use uh, newly found, let's say, public space like sidewalks and parking spaces along the curb. Uh, and in, in the case in the city of Boston, they've been really great at, a, at getting very creative and saying, hey, is there a little park space next to you or an alley next to you? You can use that. Um, so allowing restaurants and business owners to continue to use that through the permitting process, through the licensing process. And by the way, that that alone was a huge step this spring. Yeah, it happened through the course of like April, May. There were a lot of conversations about how do we help businesses that are clearly are not going to be able to or are allowed to or feel comfortable serving diners indoors, allow them to serve outside and go beyond the typical sidewalk seating that we've becoming we've become accustomed to and and get more creative and take back some of the streetscape for for dining that was allowed through kind of an expanded permitting process right that went live really in in the beginning of june you know this question of state versus city the state has granted certain permissions through alcohol through the alcoholic beverage commission to you know serve drinks yeah. outside, right? And right. that's where the state comes in. Right. It is on the city in all municipalities to permit the use of public space of city-owned streets and sidewalks. And and that really is, that's the, I think the bigger issue here. The state can say like, okay, we're going to let people serve alcohol and that trickles down to the municipalities. But um, cities have to take, you know, the bull by the horns here on this and recognize that I think what we're all coming down to here that the clear issue is that if restaurants are not allowed to let diners make their own decisions about whether or not they want to come out and sit outside through the winter through the cold weather season a lot of restaurants are not gonna be able to survive and I don't think a lot of people realize that there's a deadline every year it's like at this point in the year you got to wrap up yeah there's there's this there's this for whatever reason we've decided that we have to put a um, set of dates around it and by the way this is really interesting because this came up a couple years ago i think two years ago in um february there were there was a um a stretch of like a week of like really warm weather right unseasonably warm weather and a bunch of restaurants on Boylston Street downtown. They're like, hey, great. We're let's like, do great. This. Let's throw our tables and chairs out yeah, there right. and start serving and like have people come out. And they got dinged by the city for operating outdoor patio outside of the designated calendar, um, you know, schedule. And there was enough pushback on that that the city said, well, okay, we're not going to find them. But, you know, 
And so now you can apply if you think there's going to be good weather. If you are like Nostradamus and you can predict the weather enough to know that it's worth your time to put tables and chairs out there, you can apply for that. But the idea of needing permission to begin with, if it's property that's part of the restaurant, it, it seems it seems crazy. I yeah. Mean, so we're getting into the weeds here, which I'm happy to do because that's kind of well, that's I where I, it, I tend right? to go to the weeds. Yeah. I mean, but it's there is a difference between permitting uh, outdoor seating on property that you that is kind of within your lease, mm-hmm. right? And permitting on a city-owned sidewalk, or city-owned street, uh, or city-owned open space of any sort. Which and is really appropriate now because that's Correct. what we're using for Correct. a lot of these restaurants. Yeah, and it, I mean, you know, it, I think we all have seen how our neighborhoods have come alive coming out of the depths of, of the, you know, acute shut down in the spring, their neighborhoods have come alive with outdoor dining and it's added an incredibly wonderful texture and liveliness to our neighborhoods that are really kind of in many ways striving for that. Oh yeah. By the way, turn your cell phones on vibrate. <laughs> Great call. I can't believe I didn't get that before. I'm all good. Though. I think that ding was from my computer, which is still open. <laughs> just in fairness. It wasn't we are, just we are still doing so work. new at this. Yeah. Um, what is the date? right now for people to wrap up it, it, it has been october 31st and i think that the city <laughs> yeah we're gonna keep on hearing that but i think the city of boston is looking at this i think they recognize that you know we're fast approaching that date and a lot of people are concerned about what that means at the end of the day here's the bottom line business owners should be the ones to determine whether or not they as entrepreneurs want to take the risk of putting out outdoor tables and chairs to see if customers are going to show up in the cold weather and display the creativity to apply some you know new and novel solutions right. to that space to from a, the way it's designed and offering an experience that they're creating. Right. So we can talk about it, you know, you you met with Tom Schlesinger uh, who's the owner of Alcove down the West End um, right by the 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 garden and he talked about how they're going to do like, you know, a whole menu of hot chocolate drinks and have blankets. Yeah, they're just embracing it, it. Exactly. You know, uh, w- this is what we've got. It's cold, but it's not just let's let's have our usual thing out in the cold. Let's embrace the cold and really do something, which is basically what you do up in Vermont or some of these ski, ski areas. It's not far away from here. Yeah, absolutely. Or we could even look more directly to cities in other parts of the country, um, in Minnesota, um, in parts of Wisconsin, there's, you know, it's cold and there's really good, um, culture of outdoor activity in, in the winter, Canada, whether it's Montreal or Quebec city or, um, Alberta, there's a really strong actually initiative to create kind of 12 month outdoor activity in our, in our cities. And there's some really exciting things that are happening around this kind of in the urban planning and um, urban design world around advocating for more healthy activities in the winter. Have you guys been eating out outdoors at restaurants? I have not. Actually, that's not true. Early on, I feel like you went at Branch Line, right? The only outdoor experience I had was once with Drew after a drone shoot in Kendall Square oh, yeah, We got a lemonade, I mean. And then once with Gustavo out at Boston Landing. Where we also got a lemonade, yeah. by the way. What's going on with you and lemonade, by yeah. the way? 
No, I got a cocktail delicious. to be clear. Oh, that's if you true. Remember. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Jesse got a cocktail at three in the afternoon. I got a lemonade. Yeah, and I think I also got a cocktail with the Drew. So easy, <laughs> easy host. I mean, what is going on here? Can I, Drew, real quick. I know that you're stressing right now because our ERV just came on. Gustavo, you can now hear it. I know. I feel safe already. We've got fresh air coming in the office I right now. So if you hear a hum that you find completely annoying, it's it's probably helping us live. So yeah, bad for the podcast, good for our pursuit yeah. to stay COVID free. So that'll shut off. We are learning a lot in this first episode um, about our office and, and how this is not the ideal studio. Hey, hey Drew, you know what I interject actually going back to why we're here and just thinking about this through Gustavo's comments is that one of the things that I think a lot about, there's a, there's just such a burden on restaurateurs right now, um, operationally, economically, culturally, they're, they're put in a situation right now that's almost impossible. And even as we sit here as folks that observe from the outside, the restaurant community and the challenges they face, it's complicated to us to think through the challenges as related to state agencies like the ABCC, as related to cities, which all have different policies. And then also the next layer is as related to restaurateurs and their dealings with their landowners. So the the layers you have to parse here as we go through, that was my phone actually, the layers you have to parse here as you go through what do we need to do to stay open past October 31st, there's no one place to go. Right. So, you know, it's it's a challenge. But not only that, getting into the financial implications, I, I'm, I'm not only hearing that you know, these gas lamps, these heat lanterns are now hard to find, but they are super expensive. And you almost need one per table because these tables are so spread apart on these patios. So even if a restaurant, let's say the state, the city, whatever says, you know what, um, stay open as long as you need to. Some of these restaurants are going to have a really hard time coming up with the cash to even make this a viable thing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. There's um, also a lot of restrictions, I think, ordinarily. So about a month ago, thinking about this issue, I actually called the fire department. And I sort of pretended that I was a restaurant slash helping a restaurant out and <laughs> asked them, what the, what was the, what's, the, what's the process if I want to get a, a, one of these outdoor heat lamps? And they walked me through it. And I have to be honest, like, it, it, it wasn't that overbearing in- And to a, be clear, you called the Boston Fire Department. Bo- City of Boston yes. Fire Department. Uh, at 1010 Mass Ave. And, and it, it wasn't that bad of a process. It's like, it's not that big a deal in normal circumstances, I think. In the situation we're in now where kind of everyone is trying to scramble to figure out how they make this happen, um, how they improve their outdoor seating environment, but also doing so in, for many people, completely new physical spaces that they had never used before and that are maybe not you know, when we think of an outdoor patio of a restaurant, you know, it's contiguous space. It's right off their, the, you know, the back of the restaurant. It's fully contained. It's entirely theirs. A lot of folks are using, as we've seen, which is great, but, you know, four parking, three, four parking spaces strung together in front of their restaurant. So there's a lot of the requirements for these outdoor heaters, like um, having to lock them up at the end of the night, having to take all of the propane tanks out of each individual unit and store them in a, what's called like a, a, a fuel cage. It's just like a fireproof box. Basically. It's, it's a locker. It doesn't have to be a contained thing. It's just a locker, right? Right. So storing them there, but that has to be 10 feet away from any structure. Well, where do you, where do you put that? Plus if you're using, you know, if, if your new newly found outdoor space is sidewalk or street, you can't store that in the public right of way. And I think there's some 
pretty good reasons why. You don't think the city wants to necessarily have individual business owners storing a locker full of propane tanks in a parking space that, God forbid, a car ran into. I mean, you can imagine that there are some real reasons why not to do this, but it does mean that it's hard right. to execute for most of these small restaurants that, um, especially in the neighborhoods that aren't working with you know larger, more sophisticated developers and landlords. And I, I think this is just fundamentally why it's so important that the government starts to really provide assistance to some of these restaurants. I mean, there just needs to be some some more support there. Jesse, as a culture, we're just not willing to sit outside during cold temperatures, whether it's to have a beer or or eat a meal. Other countries, no problem. My father, when I bring this topic up to him, which we, we do talk about this sort of thing, for some reason he's interested in me and what I'm doing. Um, that is odd. Actually. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but he keeps saying, well, in Palm Springs, Palm Springs, when we go to Palm Springs, the one time he's been to Palm Springs, you know, it's desert temperatures, it's cold at night, and everybody's out there huddled up with their blankets, having their dinners. Why do we in New England have such a hard time thinking about outdoor dining beyond September? Well, I think there are a lot of answers. One that's worth pointing out, this, isn't, this is me being a pessimist, um, is Boston's really windy. And it's a huge one. It's a huge issue. And the reality, you know, we did a study in Kendall Square probably 10 years ago. We were walking, we were walking the exterior of what is the Watermark Building where Commonwealth and Evu and Za Kika used to be. They've been one of the restaurants that's closed, Shanti. And Dan Biederman, who was on the, this team, who's really well known and wildly competent and informed when it comes to the activation of outdoor spaces. You know, his team manages Bryant Park in New York City. He reminded us that Boston is the windiest city in the United States of America. And I, I think that's something that, to Gustavo's earlier point, thinking about the infrastructure, you know, it works at Eastern Standard, you know, or it worked at Eastern Standard in Kenmore Square because they actually had... They were um, enclosed almost. Exactly, with heaters. And I think one of the hard parts is going to be in, in the context, in the urban context in particular, where there's a lot of wind. You know, how do we deal with that? I think there are ways of doing it. But I think culturally, um, it also gets dark here really early and winters are hard um and you know my hope is i'm not convinced but my hope is that if restaurants can start to offer it and do creative things to make space more comfortable uh, and make sure their staff is comfortable serving food and drinks outside when it's cold you know through blankets through heaters hopefully we come around my biggest fear in all this is that you know is it enough to help save even just a few restaurants through the winter, I think the bigger play is this could be something that is enduring that lasts beyond the moment of the pandemic, which is we develop a culture around outdoor dining that is more than just, you know, the 60 really beautiful days that we have in Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, Greater Boston throughout the year. Yeah, or even the, you know, probably two dozen restaurants that Eater can actually put on a list that say, here are places you can go and have outdoor dining. Exactly. The city received uh, over 500 applications in June for this new expanded outdoor dining program. That, that's a massive increase. I mean, the, the previous year they had received, you know, barely 200. And that includes everything from like putting two tables out in front of your coffee shop, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a really exciting opportunity to expand what it means to have outdoor dining. It's not just a handful of restaurants that happen to have expansive space out back, you know, or adjacent. So that, that is important. I, I agree with Jesse that 
The cold thing, I mean, we like to make a lot of ourselves as hardy New Englanders, but when it comes to the winter, um, I've been on this kick for a long time. I actually wrote a, I pitched an op-ed to the Boston Globe in 2015, <laughs> in March of 2015, following the, like, you know, the, the snowmageddon, right? Been validated. Gustavo sent to the team. This is valid. Yes, I, exactly. I have seen it. Yeah. And, and it was rejected. Uh, they told me that it was March and they were done talking about winter, which was, you know, okay. Um, um, you can, you, can you feel my eyes rolling in the back of my head right now? So, but basically, it, you know, the idea is that we have to recognize that it's going to be cold every year. The climate is certainly changing and the, the type of winters we are having are different. We're going to have wetter kind of danker winters than, but warmer in slightly warmer. Yes. In the winter, but, um, maybe more days popped more seasons that are like popped with like some, you know, really nice days. I feel like spring. But we have to embrace it. We have to kind of get around it. The wind is a huge issue, though, and I think that's a big problem. We have to talk about snow removal, though, if we're going to talk about this, because that is the reason why cities are reluctant to allow seating in the streets to go through the winter. Do you think there are people who just feel like this is not a great idea because of that? Yes. And they're in the city. They're yes. in the Yeah, right. No, that's no. just a fact. Yeah. The other part of it is I think we've got to first and foremost get comfortable that we're going to have to make certain compromises that de-emphasize planning and operations and maintenance at the city level around vehicular movements, right? Gustav was raising his hand. All Hang right. On. Breaking news. Breaking news. Oh, no. This is amazing. So as we're sitting here, breaking news, we're sitting here on Tuesday. It's exactly 2.30 uh, PM on Tuesday, the 15th tax and day for those of you paying estimated taxes. Oh my gosh. If you forgot, depending on where this, so, this um, I just got a, a ping from someone. I heard um, it. I heard it. Yeah. That, um, <laughs> yeah, that the city of Boston is going to extend outdoor dining from October 31st to December 1st. Okay. Should we just redo this? <laughs> should we start over? An extra 32 days. Whoa. Yeah, that's, so that's a month. That's yeah. significant. You know, and I think yeah. that's a good start. That's significant. It allows people to, I mean, you know, once December comes, it, you know, people may feel as though that's it. I, I'm a little bit like, ugh, okay, we kind of a little bit of a half measure there, but it's a good thing. It's, it's a good always, start. Yeah. It, it does seem like of all years, though, showing progress is not good enough sometimes. You know, yeah, in, in any point. other in any other year, okay, we made a little budge. Next year, we make more. But this this year, it's dire. Yeah. So let's go back to this though, which is Jesse. Jesse made the point a few minutes ago. Like, okay, so what if you were allowed to have outdoor dining all the way through the winter? Is it actually going to help a lot of businesses? I mean, even if we all decided that we're going to go out and bundle up and go out and eat outside, Jesse hasn't been out more than twice for a drink in the middle of summer. I went out for my first outdoor dining experience with my wife last weekend. No, but, but I, I see your point, but there are people going out. And if it's at the same volume than it is now, it can really make a difference for a restaurant. I mean, there are restaurants that probably said, well, I'm going to have to pack it in. They were able to make changes to their patio. And now they're like, okay, now I can survive. So there are probably some places if they can maintain yeah. the, the volume of customers that can make a go of it, it would make a difference. Yeah, Drew, I view this from the perspective of a restaurateur. There are two things that we haven't talked that much about, which I think are really significant. 
One is just requiring all these restaurateurs that have spent all this money to create these outdoor seating areas to make them move all of that stuff. Operationally, take it down, break it down, store it. That's a lot. And I think to be able to keep it out there so they can utilize it on a great Saturday afternoon in January, like no harm, no foul there. Yeah, maybe it interrupts some snow plows, but we have to be willing to make that compromise, right? That's one. Two is... I think what we're trying to do here generally and some of the advocacy work we've done at Graffito is whether or not something is going to be a success or not or save a restaurant or not, like no singular thing during this moment in time is going to do that. But the more tools we give restaurateurs to kind of determine their own destiny and fate, you know, yeah, go for it. You know, serve that margarita or that Negroni to go. Is that going to save a restaurant? No, but that's one thing that they could think about do they expand a program around this new tool outdoor dining in the winter it's not going to be to gustavo's point it's not going to be for everybody but it's one more tool they have kind of in their toolbox to leverage so i think we're at this moment where it's we want to be pushing as as hard as possible for rational um, diverse mechanisms for restaurants to generate revenue and you know that's to me that's what this is about you know as opposed despite my pessimism about whether or not this is going to save or add real revenue it's about letting restaurants going back to gustavo's earlier point you know, control their own destiny make their own decisions use this change in policy to their advantage great so i have a question do we think there are things that our friends in the landlord community can and should be doing on this front to support restaurants through the winter? I mean, I think the answer is probably yes, but <laughs> let's, let, no. Let's all right, discuss. let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> should we make that episode two, three, and four? I mean, they've already made a lot of concessions. I think they've already had to pitch in and help and do what they can. I don't know at what point they say enough's enough. They're, they're not a lot of options, right? I mean, unless they want to risk somebody just leaving the space altogether, what, what choice do they have? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This question posed by Gustavo, you know, what more can landowners do? What more can cities do? I was on a call this morning um, with some folks in the Kendall Square Association board, and we were just thinking, how, are there other things that we can do this winter? And one of the ideas that came up was, you know, there are all these lobbies around Kendall Square. There are all these lobbies around Boston in office buildings and lab buildings that are massive. They're not being built the same way today, fortunately, that maybe you could create a safe environment indoors with people spread out with proper ventilation where the local restaurants could leverage those indoor safe spaces. There are other spaces in the public realm, potentially in the winter, that could work that way. But without the city and state relaxing some of the restrictions on off-premises dining, that will be hard. So I think if we can relax the regulatory um, strings to allow some of this stuff to happen, I think there will be some organizations, some civic organizations, some bids, some restaurateurs, maybe even us at Graffito, that can figure out some ways of um, you know driving more revenue to restaurants. I'm not going to answer the question I myself posed. I actually want to, um, yeah, exactly. Sneaky. Um, but to pivot to, you know, uh, to pivot to a question you'd rather answer. Yes, correct. <laughs> to pivot to a question or a, an issue I actually have an answer on. <laughs> um, I, I think also we have to be thinking about the winter as it comes a little bit more holistically than simply restaurants. We're going to be entering a really hard time in our world in the next several months. It's Harder. Harder, it, you know, maybe as hard as it was back in March and April. Um, I think 
we have to be prepared for that. I hope it's not, but I think we should be really clear that, um, you know, things are probably going to get worse before they get better. And uh, what we've learned over the past six months about how important outdoor activity and outdoor recreation and outdoor spaces are to the public health, to the acute public health related to the, the, the virus and to the public health as it relates to our just general mental health and well-being and just feeling good about ourselves and getting exercise, all those kinds of things. You know, I, I hope that collectively as a community, we can think more creatively about programs, events, or activities outside in our business communities, in our parks that make it easier, more comfortable, and more attractive for people to come outside in the winter. Because otherwise, it's going to be it's going to be a long way of just kind of sitting at home, you know, and it that's not going to be very fun. I think that's a great place to sort of put a pin in it, as they say. Um, thanks, Jesse Barracon and Gustavo Corona. Um, wow. No, you got to <laughs> say my name right. Come on. Gustavo. Man. We got to make him go for it. Quiroga. Yeah. <laughs> Quiroga. Gustavo Quiroga. You don't have to use pronunciation. I'll, you can just. Yeah. Isn't that offensive? Key. Well, you are generally offensive, but that's a different yeah. story. I'll I, well, I feel. Quiroga. Yeah. Quiroga. Yeah. That's yeah. another good podcast name. You are generally offensive. <laughs> that's actually, yeah. And that's going to be my next podcast. Uh, this has been great. Thank you both. By the way, this problem that restaurants are having as it gets colder really shows how important it is to find a way to support your favorite restaurants. If you can't dine on their patio, whether it's too cold or it's not allowed, uh, and you're uncomfortable eating indoors like a lot of people I know, please just keep doing takeout. I think it's still really important to buy gift cards like it was when we first started this. There's no reason buying gift cards should be less popular and just don't use them for a few years maybe um, so that the restaurants can hang on to their cash. Um, but that's another subject. Thanks, guys, so much. Thanks, Drew. Thanks. This is fun. Yeah, cool. All right, we're done. Kiroga. That was good. Thank you for listening to the Graffito Podcast. For more information about the podcast, our hosts, and guests, please visit graffito.com and click on the podcast tab at the top of the page. Do you have a question for our team? Email podcast at graffito.com and maybe we'll answer on one of our future episodes.